Thank you for listening. Thanks for clicking on this podcast. My name is Dr. Rick Barnett. I'm a licensed psychologist doctorate, licensed alcohol and drug counselor, and addiction specialist. And this podcast is on psychology and addiction. But this particular episode is from an article that I wrote and posted on LinkedIn. So if you want to follow me on LinkedIn or check out the article on LinkedIn, you can find me under Dr. Rick Barnett. And I'm going to read that article to you here for this podcast. The article is called Drug Deaths, Medication and Beyond. And I start the article with a quote from H.L. Mencken that states, For every complex problem, there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. The number of drug overdose deaths continues to rise and is not expected to go down anytime soon. In 2017, there were upwards of 70,000 drug overdose deaths. Over 49,000 of these deaths were opioid-related, with fentanyl-related deaths doubling from 2016 to 2017. However, and some people don't realize this, an estimated 23,000, nearly one-third of all drug overdose deaths in 2017, did not involve opioids. Of the 49,000 opioid-related deaths, nearly 11,000 of those involved benzodiazepines like Xanax or Valium or Clonopin, Ativan, and almost 15,000 involved cocaine. So put simply, many drug overdose deaths in 2016 and 2017 involved drugs including alcohol other than or in combination with opioids. Add to this that alcohol is indirectly or directly involved in nearly 100,000 deaths per year. And lastly, one report estimates that prescription medications of all types, whether used as prescribed, taken in error, or misused, may account for over 125 deaths each year. So our response to the drug overdose epidemic has been focused on opioids. And intuitively, this seems to make sense. It is accepted that opioids cause these problems and a focus on opioids is the solution. But this is misguided and simplistic. This new public health version of the war on drugs has become a battle waged in two arenas, supply and demand. We have become opioid focused and opioid phobic. On the supply side, our opioid phobic response has been prescription drug monitoring programs, threatening sanctions for prescribing opioids over a certain limit, and misinterpreted pain management guidelines. One major consequence of this is what's called pain refugees, chronic pain patients being subject to forced tapers despite successful control of their pain with opioids. This tactic is reported to have likely increased illicit opioid use, depression, and suicide. Now, on the demand side, our opioid-focused response has been a massive push to expand opioid-based treatment for opioid use disorder. There's robust research literature that shows opioid maintenance medications like buprenorphine or suboxone and methadone as being able to cut overdose deaths, the rates, by 50% or more. The problem with these studies is that there is a large potential for confounding 
in comparisons of crude mortality risk in and out of treatment, and there's a lack of data on overdose mortality when opioid substitution treatment was obtained on the illicit drug markets. Nevertheless, opioid medications have become the gold standard for the widely promoted medication-assisted treatment, or MAT. We are now going all in with these strategies, sometimes to the abandonment of other worthwhile initiatives. For example, safe consumption spaces, what's also called overdose prevention sites. And over 25 years ago, pharmaceutical companies funded massive campaigns to treat pain as the fifth vital sign. Over the past decade, pharmaceutical companies have spent far more than any other industry to influence politicians, close to $2.5 billion into lobbying and funding members of Congress. These companies fund medical schools, medical journals, research, and provide numerous free trainings for medical providers to prescribe drugs for addiction treatment. They're also the spectacle of scandal after scandal in perpetuating the drug death epidemic. The effort to influence policymakers and the medical field continues to have a significant impact on public opinion and the recognition of treatment as addiction. The moralization of the brain disease model of addiction pushes opioid use disorder medications into every facet of healthcare, social services, and the criminal justice system. The narrative has morphed our morals from seeing addictive behaviors as a moral weakness to seeing addiction as a basic blemish in our biological makeup. That is, addiction, we are told, is a disease state over which we have no control, and the only solution may be medication. Our new moorings of morality demand that we offer unrestricted access to medications to address opioid use, regardless of the setting, in emergency departments, on the street, in prisons, in primary care offices, and in clinics across the country. This is focused, yet fundamentally flawed, and here's why. Drug deaths aren't solely related to opioids. Medications are intended as a crude tool to help stabilize people, to treat withdrawal symptoms, and to reduce cravings. Drug treatments that focus exclusively on opioids and the symptoms of withdrawal or cravings are doomed to fail because they don't address a broader and more nuanced perspective of our current culture. Neither opioid use disorder treatment medications nor the systems or settings described above in which these medications are delivered or diverted effectively treat mental health, poly drug use, or the social determinants of health and what's, some kind, what's sometimes called collective despair. Suicide deaths have risen dramatically over the past 20 years. We have a fragmented mental health care system with a massive psychiatric workforce shortage. There aren't enough psychiatrists and even primary care physicians or providers to help address the demand for healthcare services. We've seen a surge in alcohol use, especially among women, and sharp increases in deaths related to cocaine, methamphetamine, and benzodiazepines. We also see worsening conditions in the places where people live, learn, work, and play. These realities affect a wide range of health outcomes, especially with addiction and its treatment. Medication-assisted treatment needs an overhaul for a more measurable impact on the incidence and prevalence of drug and alcohol use disorders. To genuinely save lives, we must redefine the problems and redefine, redesign 
the solutions. In terms of mental health, an overwhelming majority of patients with substance use disorder, like alcohol, cocaine, or opioids, have what's called co-occurring or comorbid mental health conditions that meet diagnostic criteria for, say, anxiety disorders like PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, as well as mood disorders such as depression or bipolar, and also attention deficit disorder or personality disorders. To maximize the effectiveness of addiction treatment of any kind is to know when and how to address mental health and not simply use medications or to use non-pharmacological treatments combined with pharmacotherapy. As Jonathan C. Lee, MD, writes, buprenorphine is a tool, but it will no more solve the opioid overdose epidemic than antihypertensive medications have solved the hemorrhagic stroke problem. Engagement of the patient is key. Those who push an access to care argument fail to see that access is just the first step. We need appropriate utilization of resources. Those who are going after the opioid crisis fail to see that over 50% of opioids in the U.S. are prescribed to people with mental health conditions, and unless we treat those underlying mental disorders, we cannot solve this problem. Ultimately, we need solutions with shared value creation that combine sensible prescribing, social determinants of health, decriminalization, evidence-based interventions, including medication-assisted treatment, and treatment of comorbidities. Most importantly, innovative engagement strategies, such as community care coordinators, telephone coaching, digital apps, telemedicine, these are all necessary to attract patients to care, to develop trust, form partnerships, and support long-term recovery. And then the workforce, as I mentioned earlier. The substance use disorder arm of the healthcare system must always prioritize the availability of highly skilled mental health clinicians, licensed alcohol and drug counselors, and peer recovery supports. This provider and peer group is best positioned to be an attractive option to many. Some people may just want buprenorphine or methadone from a prescriber, and that's fine. However, many people want time, attention, a safe place to process emotions, a chance to talk to each other or other people who've been there and that are now doing well. Time and attention are the most underutilized and most healing aspect of our current and traditionally medically driven healthcare system. As Christian Morty once wrote, to pay attention means we care, which means we really love. And finally, polypharmacy and polydrug use. Mental health care is often tracked and misconstrued as getting a prescription medication for depression, anxiety, trauma, or thought disorders. Medication-assisted treatment is focused on reducing harm from opioid misuse that leads to death, infectious diseases, and other medical problems and legal problems. Adding medications that treat mental health conditions to medications that treat addiction may create a serious problem called polypharmacy, which can increase the risk of death or other medical problems. Many people on medications for opioid use disorder also continue to use other street drugs like cocaine, ecstasy, methamphetamine, even other opioids, as well as misusing prescription medications like benzodiazepines, Xanax, benzodiazepines like Xanax or Clonopin, or stimulants like Adderall or Ritalin, 
or even other medications like Lyrica or Gabapentin, which is also Neurontin, and other different types of drugs. This is often called polydrug use as, and is responsible for an increasing number of deaths each year. The less is more in drug and alcohol use disorder treatment must be a strong consideration in order to help people develop a sense of agency and enhance social connections. That is, sometimes less medication is more when it comes to trying to help people develop a sense of agency and enhance social connections. We mustn't kick people out of treatment for any infraction, but we also must do a better job addressing addiction and mental health issues non-pharmacologically. Prescribing drugs to treat comorbid physical and mental health conditions while someone is being treated or in recovery from an addictive disorder can be kept to a minimum. While new drugs to treat addictive disorders and mental health conditions continue to be approved and promoted, let us direct our attention to other resources for healing, health, and stability. Non-pharmacological approaches to treat mental health and addictive disorders are effective and, for many, may have longer and better results than medications without the side effects or adverse drug reactions. Stemming the tide of the drug death epidemic requires changes beyond medication and the traditional healthcare delivery systems. As David B. Nash, MD, recently said, addiction thrives in populations that don't. It's all about the social determinants of health. This is a very complex problem. Employment, education, housing, childcare, community support systems, and all other non-medical and non-mental health factors in a person's life must be a central feature of helping people to recover from substance use disorders. This may be the most troubled aspect of the healthcare system and the most challenging thing to improve upon. While many clinical providers feel strongly that social determinants of health are essential to patient health, many say it falls outside of their scope as clinicians and therefore are unable to make a difference with these social issues. On the road ahead, it may be, by necessity, the road less traveled. We must adopt a PEP or PEP paradigm, that is perspective, empathy, and persistence. Methadone has been used to treat opioid use disorder for five decades. Buprenorphine is quickly approaching its fourth decade in Europe and third decade in the United States. The psychopharmacological revolution will continue unabated. With time and experience comes perspective, and with perspective comes empathy and greater awareness of the need for growth and change. With this greater awareness for growth and change, we may find an unrelenting persistence. As we persist and continue in our shared journey of addiction and recovery and mental health, let us lean towards a new paradigm that truly decreases the tragic deaths from drugs and alcohol and improve individual, community, and cross-cultural well-being. Thank you, and thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.